Tomorrow morning, the president would be well advised to grab the opportunity to get off this ramp to war. We do have enormous air and naval combat power that could devastate Iran in a high-intensity war. Iran doesn't want that, and neither should uh, the United States. Well, we now know that Iran really doesn't want that, as um, it is being reported that they let the Iraqis know, look, we're going to lob some missiles, get everybody out of the way, we don't want to hit anybody, then Iraq told us, so the White House was watching this all unfold. And our guys were safe, presumably, at least... We hope they were safe. So the the great part about uh, our next guest is we get to talk big picture because we now know the 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 the, the fast twenty four hour what happened recently thing. We know the story. It was uh, it was an attempt to 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 ratchet things down. Where are we now? What's the hope for diplomacy? It's always a great pleasure to speak with Ambassador Faisal Al Istrabadi, former Iraqi ambassador to the UN, uh, had a major part in writing the constitution of that country. He's currently the director of the Center for the Study of the Middle East at Indiana University. Uh, Ambassador, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm very well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you again. Happy New Year. Thank you, and the same to you. Uh, for for those who are not really up on uh, international relations and, and the give and take of these sort of incidents, why do you suppose Iran did what it did? Took a swing, but it would appear intentionally missed. Well, it could be that it intentionally missed. Um, now, I there were reports, by the way, that when the U.S., struck its first strike, again, not not uh, Qasem Soleimani, the Iranian general, but before that, a couple of days before that, when it first hit some uh, pro-Iranian um, militias in Iraq, that it had also informed the government of, the, of Iraq. So this is a diplomatic courtesy uh, to say to the Iraqis, both by the United States back at the end of December and Iran, this is not a strike against you. Um, and, and so that, that's what that is. So there are several possibilities of what Iran did. Uh, one is they took their best shot at the United States, and just uh, I think the expression, and I don't follow sports, so you'll forgive me if I get it wrong, <laughs> they whiffed, I think, <laughs> is the expression. That's possible. The second possibility is exactly what you've said, that they deliberately chose uh, not to uh, inflict casualties. There had been initial reports that there were Iraqi casualties, but the Iraqi prime minister has said today that there were not. So it looks like there were no casualties. So it could be that they did that intentionally. There's a third possibility, um, and that is that they are uh, lulling us all into a false sense of security, letting the thing die down, and then maybe some proxy somewhere is going to hit you know, some target sometime in the future. And we don't quite know which one of those possibilities it is. Um, but, um, um, but hopefully it's the second one, that they intentionally took the route of what amounts to de-escalation, uh, and hopefully uh, there will be an opportunity for diplomacy to take over. It's in nobody's interest for this to spiral out of control. That is uh, clearly true, that it's in nobody's interest to turn this into a war. On the other hand, we're still enemies. We're as much enemies today as we were a week ago or 10 years ago. Um, how does this play out? And if I'm Iran, I'm screaming as fast as I can toward getting a nuclear weapon. We claim they're not. we're no, not going to allow that. Right. No, absolutely. Well, if, if they whiffed, uh, if this was their best shot at getting the United States and they whiffed, then uh, uh, then the imperative for getting a nuclear weapon it becomes much, much higher.
higher. And of course, unfortunately, um, the uh, the uh, the administration is sort of giving him give, has in fact given him giving given them sorry an excuse. Uh, by having withdrawn from the the nuclear agreement at a time when Iran was abiding by it, so but if they look around and they look to see how, uh, you know, in the president's words, uh, Kim Jong Un gets love letters um, while they get their leadership uh, killed uh, in third countries, the imperative for having a nuclear weapon goes sky high. Um, if they whiff. By the way, there's another possibility of what happened, and that is that they just they felt they had to do something, but they just plain got scared. Right. Now that's possible. We don't know, uh, but those are the four seems to me logical possibilities of why their response, thankfully, but frankly, looks somewhat inept. Um, now, if it was intended, it was intended, but otherwise, it's inept. So going forward, as we look at the future of that region, uh, what is it, how much how important is it that the uh, that General Soleimani is no longer on the scene? He was obviously a key player in projecting Iranian power around the region. Does his death matter? Will he merely be replaced? He will be replaced. He has already been replaced. Um, it does matter, um, but it's not it's it's not the same as um, you know taking out Osama bin Laden or. Uh, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the, the former head of ISIL, or the late head of ISIL, um, both of whom got their just desserts. As, you know, don't get me wrong, I have, I'm crying no tears for Qasem Soleimani. He has the blood of a hell of a lot of, of, uh, of Iraqis and Americans on his hands, and others in the region. Um, but uh, he will be replaced uh, because Iran, unlike the, the terrorist groups I mentioned, um, you know, uh, Al-Qaeda and uh, ISIL, Iran's a state. Um, and so they have, they have sort of cadres and training and coming up along the way. The, the general who was appointed to replace Qasem Soleimani was with him, and there are photographs of the two of them on the front of the Iran-Iraq war uh, back in the early 80s. He's been with them. They were together their entire careers. So there will be continuity. Now, there's no doubt uh, Soleimani... Um, was a was a uh, was a uh, was a good maybe a brilliant strategist. I mean, unfortunately, he, as far as I'm concerned, he put his uh, services, uh, he put his uh, intelligence uh, to work in the service of a malign uh, regime. But nevertheless, he may well have been a brilliant strategist, and that's not that easy to uh, to replace. Uh, but uh, but he has been replaced, and, and they'll go on, and they'll find other ways of compensating. They may be delayed in sort of their planning, uh, whatever that may be, but, but they'll go on. They, this is not a death blow even to the Revolutionary Guard, much less to the Islamic Republic of Iran. Um, it's, a, it's a shock, but not a death blow. You are the former Iraq ambassador to the U.N. You understand internal politics in Iraq. How serious were they the other day when they were uh, jawing and voting about kicking us out of there? Well, keep in mind that, uh, incidentally, and uh, there, there, there's a real controversy brewing about that in Iraq right now as, as we're speaking, because it's not clear that there was even a quorum in the parliament. There, the, uh, the, a number of blocs uh, refused to attend that session. And although the official report says that there were 170 um, MPs present, I think the quorum is is two more than a bare majority. I think it's something like that, which would be 167. They claimed there were like 170 members. Uh, but the other parties are claiming that's not true. And if you look at the pictures from the inside the chamber, 
Um, it doesn't look like there are 170 people. Right, and it, so. it, it wasn't binding anyway. Uh, the, the Shia lawmakers, I have been told a number of them were in fear for their lives if they voted against this resolution. That is true. That, that is true. true. Okay. That is true. And there's a Supreme Court case now in Iraq as to whether there really was a quorum. So I think uh, we're up in the air, and uh, who knows what's going to happen. Anybody who, who, who tells you definitively what's going to happen from the Middle East is... Uh, is not being honest. <laughs> right. Amen uh, to that. Uh, sure. Ambassador Faisal Al-Istrabadi, former Iraqi ambassador to the U.N. and uh, currently director of the Center for the Study of the Middle East at Indiana University. Uh, always enlightening and a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Pleasure is mine. Thank you. All right. Good to talk. Uh, I just want to point out, because it's half my radio show and I get to, the American media, either knowingly, which makes them ethically bankrupt, or unknowingly, which makes them incompetent, because we knew this, misled you, did not tell you for days that it was a non-binding vote by a small portion of the Iraqi parliament, and many of those who did vote yes to boot all foreign troops out were in fear for their lives because of the Iran-backed Shiite militias. That was the vote to make us leave. And and again, it's either incompetence or, or dishonesty that you only heard that on the Armstrong and Getty show for years. It's just disgusting. Anyway. Uh, we got a number of people weighing in on a topic we, I guess, discussed last hour with the Consumer Electronics Show uh, going on. The whole idea of amusing and isolating ourselves to death. Mm. Uh, which is a serious problem in the United States. I worry about it all the time. Yeah, it is. I do, too. For me and my, really for my kids. But uh, that and other stuff on the way on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. Strong and Getty Show. A scientist claims to have built the world's first working time machine. Yeah, it's exciting. It's great news for humanity. Not great news for baby Hitler. Uh, <laughs> keep your head on a swivel, kid. <laughs> that, wow. That wow. is a good joke. I've that is tape a great show or something. Just in tribute to him deciding to be non-political. I only see it through uh, YouTube videos. They're really good at pushing out segments. Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about. They're always great. Yep. Yep. Um, but that's a that's a dang funny joke yep. right there. Coming up in a little bit, there are a number of updates on the West Coast bum explosion, including in Oakland, California. The movement to allow squatters to stay. You take over a house, maybe it's an abandoned house, whatever, and by golly, you're a sympathetic character, so I guess we'll let you stay. Um, It's gaining steam. And it would be a new level of lawlessness that we'd all come to regret. More on that to come. Oh, and by the way, it would appear that Iran missed on purpose. It was a gesture to look tough, and and it's over. So that's what it looks like anyway. More on that later. Hey, can we play this joke? Is it too dark? over for now? Which one? Uh, Nothing's ever over, Jack. The world nine? keeps yeah. spinning. No, I think that's fine. Okay, because okay, that'd, that'd be a good setup for this if we can play it.
Yeah, you got number number nine to see. The yeah. use of neuromodulation is a common modality. Is that it? to treat many is different medical wanted? conditions? I doubt that. The design of the Mirari device. Can we stop this? Right, stop it then. Oh, so that is that? That's not a joke. That's a news feature. Yeah, yeah that's about. Yeah, it's something oh, okay. at the CES gotcha. show. Yeah. Okay, that's the thing that is uh, something at the computer electronics show to uh, to to fix premature ejaculation. Exactly. And we were making the point last hour that it would seem that the consumer electronics show has kind of hit a wall on uh, what they can bring us with cool new gadgets. TVs can only get so big, and you want them. I mean, I realize they could make them bigger, but it, it would seem that maybe 70-ish is as large as anybody wants in their house, because yeah. at some point, you well, just don't want Well, the whole screen you can roll up and stick in your pocket, I mean. So, so there's a bunch of weird crap out there, right? right? Robots that bring you toilet paper. Yeah. And I started talking about uh, various articles and books I read about... Uh, a combination of isolation and pleasure that is seems to be making people mostly unhappy, but that's the direction we're going. And I read a book called The Machine Stops. It was written in the early 1900s that talked about that, and it, it looked miserable, but that's what we're screaming toward. We got this text. Uh, Isaac Asimov wrote a book that mostly took place in the planet Aurora. People lived alone in houses on large, multi-thousand-acre estates. They had robots take care of them very rarely left their estates and avoided all in-person contact with other people. One of the few exceptions was to reproduce, but they found that act highly repulsive. They only did it to keep the species alive. Boy, I there's, don't... There's another predicting... In fact, I like it so well, i got to get me one of those Band-Aids. The idea that people would voluntarily stop reproducing seemed crazy to me, but it's clearly happening. Right. We also got this text. Jack, your comments in the last five minutes have been the most important that I've heard on your show in the 20 years I've been listening. That seems a... A little hyperbolic. Well, no. What? Well done, sir. Technology has stolen child rearing from an entire generation of parents. The struggle is constant. The default is always immersion in technology. I'm a teacher, and the anxiety levels of children have never been this high. The only children riding bikes in my neighborhood are, are 30-year-old bums. <laughs> wow. That is what I mostly see on bikes, 30-year-old bums who lost their driver's license. You know, yeah. you know what the counter-argument I hear, though, is? There isn't one. There is nobody making the counter-argument that our devices are making us nuts and, and unplugging us from the real human contact that nourishes the soul. The fake, sort of, kind of, online, on-phone contact does not nourish the soul nearly enough. Um, uh, what was I going to say? For reasons that are deep in our anatomy. Oh, I, I think, yeah. Well, in our psychology and our neurological, you know, being. I think part of it might be recognizing what are you going to do about it? <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, you're going to have to, well, you're going to have to realize it's a terrible habit. Yeah, I just, I just on a person-by-person basis. I'm not interested in save. well, I am interested in saving humanity, but I'm not a megalomaniac, so I know I can't. I'm saying what I'm saying to save my kids and my friends. And to help them understand what's killing them. I don't. Uh, what are you going to do about it societally? I don't know. I'm just one dude. But I am going to deliver that message to the people I care about. So I was going to talk about video games. I'm not going to do that here because that's a longer separate conversation. But just in terms of like immersing yourself in screen time, not talking to human being or being outside. When we got a video game system, my kids started playing video games. And I, I realized for the first time what a two-way street it is. Uh, not just the kids, but for the parents. We hadn't had video games, and for the first time ever as a parent in my household, because I got one kid that's 
quirky and got all these various issues. But it was the first time ever as a parent, there was something I could have my kid do. And I could do as much laundry as I wanted. I could have taken a nap. I could have watched the news. I could have watched a football game. I could have mm. done all kinds of things that I haven't done in 10 years because I knew exactly where he was going, where he was. And he wasn't leaving that spot. As long as I let him do it. There's, and I thought, there's that. <laughs> I thought, there's that. that's how it happens. I had never, I know a lot of your parents are saying, duh, I suppose, but it had never <laughs> occurred to me the other side of it. This is so handy as a parent. Yeah. I want to make yeah. dinner? Go play your video games. Yeah. I'm completely free. Of yeah. responsibility, yeah. and I can do this now. That used to be me. Signed, television. <laughs> yeah, well, TV doesn't work that way, not to that extent. Not to that extent of immersion. Now, I've right. never seen my kids watch TV where they're that wide-eyed up, and just so into it you can't you can't even get their attention. Hey, hey, what are you... Hey, hello, hello. I've never, not never with a TV show. Well, you will literally have kids let it go in their pants because they just will not stop playing. And I thought, if you don't care about this sort of thing, I can see how you'd think this is the greatest thing that ever happened. Yeah. I, I, I'm a plant my kid down in front of that. Now I can be on the phone with my friends or scrolling through the, you know, the, the shopping on Amazon or do whatever I want. Stuff that I never can do. Well, you could put on one of those helpful Band-Aids from the CES and you and the wife sneak off if you wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, there you go. It's a two-way temptation. I didn't realize Satan that. Satan is a clever guy, Jack. Mm. Well, Satan's behind video games. It's probably a little strong, but the segment's about <laughs> over. Yeah, well, what are you going to do? You're going to end on a strong what note. What are you going to do? <laughs> Before we talk briefly about impeachment, and man, talk about a story that I just don't think anybody cares about. But um, it was 20 years ago today. Trent Lott taught the band to play. How do you like that? That's pretty good. You got to be a Beatles fan yeah. and an impeachment fan to get the joke. But. <laughs> it's called narrow casting, people. A lot yeah. of people do broadcasting, not us. <laughs> not us. Very narrow. Three people in America enjoyed that joke, and that's enough for me. But they loved it. Right. Right. We got to mention it looks like Iran swung and missed on purpose so they could say, hey, uh, we don't put up with that sort of crap, so knock it off. Right. And that the, we're not headed to World War III. That's what it looks like. So. Indeed, the president is uh, due to speak soonish, um, if you're listening live, and, and we'll bring that to you. Uh, but y- y- it would appear that the escalation is over, barring unforeseen developments. So impeachment still continues. It's one of the most, in theory, dramatic things that can happen in our in our nation, right. in our politics. It's happening in... Between Christmas and Iran and just well, and whatever how else. stupid it is. <laughs> just, 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 just no, there's no steam behind it. That's funny. That's almost exactly what I was going to say. If somebody told me 20 years ago in the midst of the Clinton impeachment that uh, 20 years from now another president will be impeached. Number one, he's the hotel guy from New York. <laughs> but number two, uh, nobody will pay attention. Everybody will just kind of snicker at it. Or at least a lot of people would. I mean, like, oh, I, I, what? We're impeaching a president, but most people just think it's a joke? Come on, yeah. future Joe, what the hell are you talking well, about? Well, it's got to do with partisanship also, and that, you know, that certain a number of people couldn't be moved on either side no matter what. So, right. Um, uh, yeah, almost no matter what. But, um, uh, oh, I have... I have Trump to... shoots Pence in the Rose Garden, he gets tossed out. Democrats hate Pence. <sighs> 
I think Good he, point. I think Trump could shoot Pence in the right. Rose Garden Trump, and get away with it. Trump, <laughs> Trump invites Nancy Pelosi to the White House and 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 shoots her as she walks yeah, into the Oval Office. He couldn't do that. All right, we're agreed. <laughs> All right, so you got that. Uh, anyway, it's clunking so, along. Well, so on oh. that, but here's the headlines. McConnell. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. McConnell said yesterday, "Oh, I've got the votes." So he says he's got the votes to go ahead with this sort of thing. But can he go ahead without? Nancy's sending over the articles of impeachment, which she still hasn't done, and says she has no plan to, as of yet, and Chuck Schumer, the head Democrat in the Senate, said, I don't know what Nancy's plan is for delivering the articles of impeachment. So that's still hanging out there. Right. Well, no, he can't go ahead, go ahead. What I think he's trying to say is, look, I've said... We're going to hear from the the impeachment managers. We're going to hear from the president's people. Then we'll talk about whether we need more witnesses, just like they did in the Clinton years. And that passed 100 to nothing after a lot of negotiation, granted. But he said, that's the way we're going to do it, and I have the votes to do it that way. And she said, well, I still haven't decided if you get your articles of impeachment or not. But so he would have to hold off on that until she sends them? Hold off on... Anything impeachment Having the vote? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're still waiting for her, and and nobody because knows. Arguably, you know, he uh, some people disagree with this, but it's true enough. He hasn't been impeached yet, really. They just drew up the articles. They haven't like called him to come to the court yet. Um, I haven't heard anybody who who claims they understand what the strategy is that Nancy Pelosi's got going on. Some people are, uh, you know, dismissing her as crazy or stupid or no, whatever. She's not that. I think she no, definitely not. I think she's wrong, but she's not stupid. I think she's just doing. It's like a hail mary pass. I think it's right. like it's like you've got no chance of making this play, right? Like Tom Brady throwing from his own end zone at the end of the game yeah. the other day. Right. You got like a one in a million chance of turning this into something good, but it's the only thing you can do. You might as well do the one thing you can do. I think yeah. that's where she is, right? And the one thing she can do is tell her supporters, in particular, and maybe sway some people in the middle, that listen, the Senate is so crooked, and this trial is so unfair. I'm not even going to give the articles of impeachment to them because there's no point. Then eventually she probably will, but she's just hoping that narrative sticks, that or, the Republicans are so perverse and so enslaved to Trump that that's the message she's trying to send. Or that something changes. That's why you extend a game or you try to extend a series. Sure. So you, maybe their star twists his ankle and, you know, then you win the next game. Right. Um, maybe, maybe you go in late at night to his house and you twist it for him. Maybe some new information comes out or something. Yeah. But it's, yep. it's a Hail Mary pass. Yeah. So, and Anyway, the world's silliest impeachment. Uh, speaking of silly, Ricky Gervais at the Golden Globes. We talked about this a lot on Monday. He oh, was please hilarious. Please kill me. Please He's... kill me. Is this over? <laughs> That's my favorite don't line. Don't give a speech. You have no. Do we have that handy? His don't give a speech thing. That's that's now. Granted, it's January what eighth now. That's the clip of the year to me. <laughs> that's the early favorite for clip of the year. Yeah. Uh, is there hope or should it just plunge ahead? Kill me. We nearly died. Kill me. No. no. Jesus. <laughs> it's already. No, I want the dog. <laughs> this show should just be me coming out going, well done, Netflix, you win. Everything. No. Good night. No. But no. no, the don't make a speech. And one. it's still more fun than this. No. Okay. Those no, are, those are all good. Stop though. it! But it's, it's what a contrast from what it used to be. And now, now the best picture, the most important. Oh, and oh. the guy comes up and says, "Please kill me." <laughs> this, this, is, <laughs> this sucks. So anyway, his whole "you don't know anything, you didn't go to school, don't make it, you have no right to lecture anybody about anything," which is one of my favorite things ever. 
Uh, Ricky, oh, oh, couple of things. Number one, <laughs> a number of people saw this and sent it along. What a weird thing to do, though, for the movie. Oh, That'd be I like love if, it. If, it's if, the only way they could get anybody to watch, I think. Like, no, it'd be like if it's a radio awards. Right. You get a host who's going to go up there and say, nobody listens to radio anymore. They've got phones. <laughs> they don't need weather and traffic and sports. What are you people doing? Well, I mean, I, they why, listen to this show. Why would we hire that guy to give out our radio awards? Because we're desperate. <laughs> So uh, a couple of things. Number one, a number of people sent this uh, along. Uh, some some human by the name of Joe Merch, it's J-O like a girl, wrote a, a piece for The Independent, which then was redistributed worldwide. Ricky Gervais cheapened the Golden Globes. But worse, he overshadowed vital political statements. All right. And, uh, just, is that trolling or does somebody actually believe that? Wow. I wonder if they just took some young writer and said, listen, we need something from this point of view. And they're like, uh-uh, sir, nobody thinks that. Everybody loved it. <laughs> if you do win an award tonight, don't use it as a, a platform to make a political speech, right? You're in no position to lecture the public about anything. You know nothing about the real world. Most of you spent less time in school than Greta Thunberg. So, if you win, right... Come up, accept your little award, thank your agent and your God, and, and F off. Now this Joe Merch person writes, The awards were certainly not free from activism. Powerful speeches were given by actors including Jennifer Aniston on climate change, Joaquin Phoenix on veganism, Michelle Williams on abortion rights, and Patricia Arquette on the conflict between Iran and the U.S., which I'm sure was learned and, 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 and moving commentary. But any meaningful message is dampened when the man at the helm is making schoolboy jokes about pedophiles. Well written. Well, that was absolutely hilarious. And in the wake of that outrageous performance, Ricky Gervais gained 300,000 new followers on Twitter. Oh, really? 300,000. So, uh, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, Joe, go go cry in your, uh, I don't know. And he's a very outspoken lefty. In, uh, if, poster. If you've ever followed his Twitter, he's an outspoken, uh, super liberal lefty, but he hates Hollywood, apparently. <laughs> well, he hates the, the just flaming hypocrisy of it and, and the smugness. Because he's a working class dude who made good a little later in life, and he does not like the smugness of the super rich and super powerful. And good for him. Have a great couple of West Coast bum explosion updates for you, and it's it's rapidly becoming a national bum explosion, and will be if you follow the lead of the West Coast, my friends, across the fruited plain, including a number of reactions to Jack's story about being in the emergency room. Mm. With a, a, a an injured wife um, and having to wait in line behind all the bums and junkies who just wanted a bed, a meal, and drugs. So, yeah. Powerful testimony from Armstrong and Getty listeners coming up. I want to hear that. Excellent. Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Getty Show. This is how that Pier 1 is close to filing for bankruptcy. This may not mean much to you, but I promise your aunt is devastated. <laughs> <laughs> what do they sell there? A lot of wicker? A lot of wicker. Oh, tons one. of wicker. Yeah. 
Get you get All your the wicker you need, dude. Get your whisk, wicker chair on, man. Unique, Big round wicker chair. Unique vases that you can put like not flowers in, right? You get like these weird like sticks that you put in the vases. Yeah, or yeah. balls. I see yeah. v- vases yeah. with balls in them for some reason. My oh, wife's got one of those. <laughs> <laughs> got two in there. Keeps me in line. <laughs> oh, sweetie, I kid. So Jack brought up yesterday the story of being in the ER with an injured wife and having to get in line behind, behind, drunks and bums and and, and junkies and meth heads and whatever. Well, and, and it wasn't uh, like a one-off uh, weird occasion as, as, as my wife spent a lot of time in the ER. I had to take the kids out of there. We couldn't stay in the ER with my wife because it was too scary being there with my kids. You got drunk bums trying to talk to them and everywhere. Yeah. But so my wife saw other people waiting, people with babies, you know, waiting while they check in. Okay, Jim, what is it this time? Oh, feel so good. They know him by name because right. he's there all the time. Right. That's a downtown big city ER on a Friday night. Meanwhile, the desperate mother with the sick baby waits and waits and waits. Holy cow! Did the email come to Armstrong? Uh, I'm sorry, mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. I'm going to uh, edit a little bit because we got so much. Air Force Tom says, um, you mentioned uh, short of being admitted with chest pains, you're going to have to wait. Well, uh, he lives in the Spokane area and had chest pain, shortness of breath, the rest of it, and waited and waited and waited behind the line of bums threatening, and I quote, to crap on the floor if they didn't get a room ASAP. I watched severely ill patients sit waiting without care. It was very sad. My God, how does a society break down like this? It's it's amazing. Well, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I could go off on that screed, um, but I won't. Uh, hey guys, my partner and I are EMTs and paramedics in California. I've been in the 911 business for 30 plus years combined. We've seen a lot. We know our frequent flyers by name. Lots of mental illness, but tons of drug use and alcohol. Our local hospitals are overwhelmed. The holidays are even worse. We can't refuse transport due to California laws. Most of them use the system to get off the street for a few hours. Lots of them are violent. We routinely have to use physical restraints, sometimes chemical restraints. Well, so then, so then, obviously, it's a good move to get out of there with your kids. I mean, if they're regularly having to restrain people... Oh, yeah, I've you, got more on that. You don't want your kids hanging around there. Right, right. Often, we're held up at the hospitals waiting with these low-priority patients on our gurney for hours because they can't dump them. they got to wait till somebody sees them. Um, I right. can't imagine I how much so, money it costs everyone. So once you get them in, the checking in process was so annoying because they went through the whole paperwork thing on any of these people. But once you get him in, I see you, you could just say, okay, we'll just leave him there and deal with the actual sick people. Right. But then you got uh, drunk hobo Jim hanging out, moaning in your hallway. That's no good either. Or just waiting patiently for his uh, free accommodations. Uh, bums and junkies screaming out of their minds right next to kids. It's not safe. And don't oh get me God. started on the bum encampments. Hepatitis, rabies, staph infections, tuberculosis, scabies, bed bugs. On and on and on. We refer to the streetwalkers as zombies. Downtown San Jose is a nightmare. Uh, let's see. Fun fact, writes Al. I've been a police officer now for over three years. Prior to being a cop, I worked three years at a busy emergency department as an ER tech. 
I got into more fights with drunks, homeless, crazy drug addicts working in the ER than I have as a police officer by far. The emergency department is a dangerous place that cannot refuse service to anyone. Wow. When an ambulance gave their pre-arrival radio call stating they were bringing in a drunk person, we would all guess who it might be. Nine times out of ten, we were correct. That is amazing. I, I, th- that is a breakdown of society. Yes, it if is. If you got a young mom holding a sick baby waiting for these people to be taken care of, with what it costs for health care, right. you're going to get charged, and you're paying for yours and his. Right. Because he ain't got no money yeah. or any insurance. And the dewy-eyed unicorn riders who just trust their feelings have put that mom in back of the bums who just want a free ride because all they have is compassion. They have no logic. Continuing on. <clears throat> This is from Ramona, who we've talked to before um, in her article, which she refers to as great. But she says, I wrote an article where I interviewed hospital staff and first responders who come in contact with more transients per day than anyone else. In one major medical center in Sacramento, which is the capital, you'd think perhaps the legislators would get this word, but almost 100% of all transients coming in are on meth, and several of the staff have been attacked, resulting in broken legs and broken noses. Many of them are terrified to come to work and break down crying regularly. Here's how it works. Transients come into Sacramento, among other cities, on a bus and call 911 from the Greyhound station to get in the system. Doesn't matter what the reason is, a headache, stomach ache, refill for meds, an ambulance has to come and take them. Once they get to the hospital, they say they're having chest pains because they know this requires lab work and x-rays, resulting in a two-night stay. Oh, they, my God. If they don't like an answer the doctor gives them, they like refusing to refill their meds, they call 911 from their bed to get another ambulance to go to another hospital. Oh, Again, my God. The medics have to take them. Emergency room waits have gone from one hour to six hours, and the gurneys line the hallways because the hospital is at capacity. Sixty to seventy percent of hospital beds in some places are taken up by trans transients at eight grand per night, with some being there for one. Seventy percent of the hospital beds are drug addict hobos. In some places, I haven't verified that, but uh, okay, if they're exaggerating, some being there for one to two years. If they're oh my god, if they're exaggerating by double, that's that's. You can't have that. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, my God. That is a complete breakdown of the system. Yep. Oh, my God. Now, how would universal health care help that? I don't see how it would. It would only make it worse. If it's all government hospitals? Right. Yeah, yeah. It would, yeah, they would all be inundated. Um, I, unless... Wow, you dial 911 when you get to a new town. Yeah, I don't feel good. And you got a bed for the night and food and everything else. You know, listen, I, as the devil's advocate, the only way that might improve it is, you know, dewy-eyed, unicorn-riding legislators are great at telling other people, including private companies, what they have to do because that's the right thing. And they don't feel any of the repercussions. Um, if the legislators were actually running those hospitals and seeing them dysfunctional, broke crowded and we're taking the heat directly i mean if you go to the hospital and had the experience you had who are you most likely to yell at i mean just because we're all humans somebody at the hospital or the administrator or somebody who works at the hospital you're not going to go to your state capital and start yelling at legislators right. probably not oh, man and, that is and by the way that is not a plea for government health care and hearing those stories about people being attacked and how dangerous it is i, I have I, a, a half a dozen more if you'd like them if 
now that I know that, because this was news to me, I didn't know it. Like I said yesterday, I now know if I ever need the emergency room and I'm near a, a, a big city ER, drive to the suburbs, drive to a small town, mm-hmm. take the time. You'll be faster anyway. Right. Um, and, and, and safer. And safer yeah. I wouldn't even take my kids in there. I would have taken them back to her cousin's house, I think, taken my kids there and then gone to the ER with Laura. Because right. I took my kids in there. I didn't know. I thought it would be like other hospitals I've been to. Right. I walked in there with my, you know, a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old, and there's freaking crazy drunk high Breakers, people yeah. everywhere. Yeah. You, you don't want to walk through there with your kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I made a mistake. Yeah, it's like taking them to a bar fight. The hospital is now a lot like taking your kids to, like, a really crappy bar. Sounds like I got lucky. Yeah, yeah. Could have been much worse. i tell you what. You know, the reason the road to hell is paid with good intentions, and longtime listeners of the show know this screed, but it's worth considering, is because if somebody can claim their intentions are good, anybody who, who, who questions or criticizes what they're doing, they're easy to portray as their intentions are bad. Wait a minute. You're going against... Uh, feeding the uh, the hungry and, and clothing the unclothed and helping these poor dejected uh, homeless people. How how can you possibly be against that? And it becomes difficult to convince voters. Look, that sounds good and it makes you feel good to advocate it, but it will lead to disaster and chaos and ugliness. That's why the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And tell you what, you want an example of that? Look at the places we're talking about. God, we got a nurse who just texted that had a homeless person occupying a bed for three months because just refused to leave. Nice, yeah. nice system. How's your utopia coming along? And get 